Hi everyone, and welcome to Stigma Busters. This podcast has recently gone under some changes that I'd like you all to know about. Previously, under the Wood County Atomist Board, Stigma Busters is now housed at NAMI Wood County. If you are unfamiliar, NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization dedicated to building better lives for the millions of Americans affected by mental illness. NAMI advocates for access to services, treatment, supports, and research, and is steadfast in its commitment to raise awareness and build a community for hope for all those in need. But more importantly, Namiwood County is your local contact for information on mental illness. We provide education, support, and advocacy for people living with a mental illness, the family and friends that support them, and the Wood County community. So with all that being said, the goal of Stigma Busters remains the same. Educate the Wood County community about mental health related issues. So this will include conversations with both mental health professionals and advocates in Wood County that will address stereotypes on mental health disorders, how family and friends can help their loved ones, the impact of policy change, and more. But most importantly, we will talk with people about their own journey to recovery. We believe the value of lived experience is crucial to recovery. And at Wood County, we pride ourselves in not only having the educational experience, but also the lived experience. Meaning we live with a mental health condition, have a loved one who is diagnosed with a mental illness, or for some of us, even both. Mental health can and will affect all of us, but we still don't talk about it enough. So join Stigma Busters at Wood County, your local voice on mental illness, in the fight to address stigma and educate our community one episode at a time. Part of NAMI Wood County's mission is to advocate for individuals affected by mental illness. But what exactly does advocacy look like? On this episode, I'm joined with Dakota Stone from the Alzheimer's Association and Stuart James from the Ability Center. They're going to talk about their agencies, the great work they do for individuals in Northwest Ohio, and what advocacy looks like for them. They'll also be addressing stigma and how this impacts their work. Tune in for today's Stigma Busters. Before we dive into today's podcast, we want to share a disclaimer with our audience. The content we share on Stigma Busters can be triggering and upsetting to individuals at times. If you are experiencing thoughts of self-harm or suicide, please call the Wood County Crisis Line at 419 419- 502 hope or you can dial the national suicide prevention lifeline at 988 you can also text nami to the crisis text line at 741-741 and you'll be connected to a crisis counselor remember you are not alone and help is here Thank you, Dakota, for coming on today. I'm excited to kind of learn a little bit more about the Alzheimer's Association, uh, talk a little bit more about what you all do locally. Uh, But before we dive in, uh, can you introduce yourself to the listeners and talk a little bit about how long you've been involved with your role? Sure. So, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, Dakota Stone, and I'm with the Alzheimer's Association. Um, I've been with the association for four and a half years now. 
And my role, my I'm a licensed social worker. That's my background. And um, we help people kind of navigate the disease. So I'll meet with families one-on-one um, and answer questions about the disease, help educate them, um, maybe helping them through how to deal with some of the behaviors that come, may come along with the disease or communication strategies that may be helpful during the progression of the disease because there's ways to communicate in the early, the middle, and the late stages, and those things change over time. Um, and then I help set up the caregiver support groups in our area, um, the education programs in our area as well. And then we have the ability to do some early stage programming. Um, that's a little challenging, but we do have the ability to do that. Well, it seems like a lot of great services to help people who uh, maybe have a loved one who's newly diagnosed and how to um, handle those situations. Um, and I'm kind of curious, uh, you had said that with the early detection, it's a little difficult to do some programming with that. Uh, is there any reason why it's difficult to kind of get that program going? Um, I know we'll we'll talk a little bit about stigmas here in a little bit, but I think some of it is stigma. And then also some of it is people feeling um, confident enough or safe enough to then go into a group setting. Um, the other piece of that is getting information and education out to the doctors. So when, you know, as soon as somebody is diagnosed in the early stages, um, just that referral process and getting, getting people in and at a rate that we need, that we need it to keep it ongoing. So sometimes we'll have a group and then we may have to cancel for a certain amount of time because, you know, people have their lives and, you know, the time or the day may not work out for them. I, I definitely get that with the dates and times and trying to coordinate. You know, we have a lot of different groups uh, through Namiwood County as well. And sometimes this, they just don't always work for people. There's a more convenient time. So it, that can be a challenge too, to kind of get things up and running, especially when you have a newer program. Sure. Um, and the other piece to that too, is we have volunteers who facilitate our group. So it's also finding a facilitator who is qualified enough to, and, and really it's just having some sort of experience with the disease and possibly experience with, and, you know, facilitating a group as yes. well. So it can be challenging finding somebody that has both those qualities. Yes, that I definitely understand as well. Because <laughs> a lot of our programming yeah, has that lived experience piece. And that can be hard too to find someone who uh, is doing well enough to be able to volunteer and is well enough in their recovery journey um, to facilitate groups like that. It's difficult to find people who are able to make that commitment. So I understand all your all the difficulties that you go through <laughs> yeah. with that, yeah. So can you explain uh, just a little bit more too? what other types of services or what other supports uh, that you all do locally uh, to Northwest Ohio and in Wood County? Sure. Um, so we also have a 24 hour helpline. Now that's not local, but anybody can call. Um, and it's a nice resource to have because we know that people are not dealing with this disease just between, you know, nine and five or eight and four. Um, it's a nice resource to have to know that somebody is going to answer no matter what time of day you call holidays, weekends, 
you know, 2 a.m. if you need it. So it's, and it's just an additional support and additional information as well. Um, we also have the Walk to End Alzheimer's, which is a great way to not only fundraise and, and, and give money to a great cause that, you know, um, and the money that goes that, that we use um, helps fund the programs and services so we are able to provide free services to families, but also a large chunk of that goes towards research. And research is how we're ultimately going to find a cure. Um, so it not only does that, but it's also a great way to um, honor your loved one with the disease or honor someone who's maybe passed away from the disease as well. When is then the next walk that you all will have? So our biggest one and the, the closest one to Wood County would be our Toledo Walk, which is October 14th. It's a Saturday. Awesome. Yeah. That's coming up soon. It is coming up soon. So we're like, I don't know if you can tell, but we have a bunch of boxes and you can probably see some flowers and things. So yeah, uh, we had our first one the week before last and um, a couple weekends between now and in October, there's a couple weekends that have like two or three walks all in one day. So <laughs> depending oh, on the wow. area. So it's been kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot. Very busy season, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. Sure. Uh, I wanted to ask too, uh, just, you know, as you're talking about the different, like, um, like the walk to end Alzheimer's and different like uh, initiatives you have. I was curious, are you then um, funded as a 501c3 nonprofit? Um, do you have other like funding streams that you have? Yeah, so we are considered a nonprofit. We do get money through the um, Ohio Department of Aging that gets funneled down through the um, AAAs or the Area Office on Aging. Then, of course, donations um, and then small county um, funds as well you know, depending on what we're doing and we can use those funds as well. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So yeah, all the money raised then uh, goes toward a great cause as well. So that's, that's correct important for people to know. Absolutely. Uh, so kind of looking uh, more like in an educational piece, I want to talk a little bit just about what exactly is Alzheimer's and then the other forms of dementia. Uh, so what kind of connection is there then? between Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia with uh, different types of mental illness. So like depression and anxiety. Yeah. So the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia, because that's probably the number one question I always get. So I do want to clarify that is um, dementia is a broad general term that we use to describe. And, and basically what dementia means is somebody's brain is changing in the way that they process information and the way that they remember information, and sometimes in the way that they behave. Alzheimer's is a very specific type of dementia with very specific proteins that get tangled up on the brain. We call them plaques and tangles. Um, and they ultimately are killing the brain cells. And so in the areas where our memories are stored and the areas of our brains that you know, are telling us how to feel about a certain situation or, you know, about our, our everyday life, um, how we judge certain information, you know, judge the distance between if I'm driving, um, our brain is telling us, okay, that car is getting kind of close. We need to go faster or we need to, you know, slow down. So the judgment piece in our brains um, are, are being affected as well. 
same thing with like, you know, telling our brains are telling us that bills are coming up, you know, it's, it's becoming the, the first of the month. So, you know, this bill and this bill is, is due. So those things sometimes can be compromised. Um, and, um, obviously our short-term memory as well. Um, and that's, that's mostly with, with Alzheimer's, it starts off short-term memory. And then as the disease progresses, it, it, it affects more of those long-term memories. Um, how it has a connection with mental health. They have seen where depression can have an impact on if somebody has depression, they have a higher likelihood of getting the disease. But also if maybe a person has no history of depression, they now have the disease, they can you know, start having signs of depression because of, you know, the worry of what tomorrow may bring and the worry of, of their family and, you know, just all of these, all of these concerns can bring on the depression as well. Um, so that, that's always concerning. And of course, anxiousness plays along right along with that. Um, so that can sometimes be major as well. So it's really like, you know, anyone who has any major new disorder or a new diagnosis, like uh, with cancer or heart disease, there could be some uncertainties that come around with having that new diagnosis. And it sounds like kind of the same thing with, you know, dementia and other forms of the disease is that it's new and it's a change. So then that can cause these feelings of um uncertainty and that brings about the anxiety and also depression, not knowing what's going to happen next. Right. Right. And sometimes they, you know, if it, if it has um, been in their family, they may have an idea of what their parent went through or, or whoever it was. So they may have an idea of what, what has happened. And then they're worried that they're going to end up like that or, or have those behaviors. And, and really what I heard somebody say, not, uh, not too long ago is if you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person with dementia because it just affects everybody so differently. Um, but I do think that is a concern when, you know, they haven't have had an experience with somebody and, and they worry that, that they may have some of those same behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. It could be really stressful to, you know, you see your loved one, like a grandparent or a parent going through something similar, um, even if that was at whatever point in your life. And then all of a sudden now you may have this diagnosis and you saw their experience, which may not have been the best. And now, yeah, you have to learn how to navigate that. Right. Yeah. That's really challenging. It's a good thing that there's good resources like you all <laughs> available to kind of help with that transition. Right. So if someone, um, is kind of looking for those signs and symptoms, right? Uh, what would be some of the signs and symptoms that someone be experiencing if they have a diagnosis, but they aren't officially diagnosed yet? Yeah. So probably the, the first couple things that are going to, um, be noticeable is the short-term memory loss to the point where, you know, because we all forget information throughout our day. Not every one of us can remember every incident or every event that has happened in our lives, but it's more of that short-term memory loss of, of information that we should know. So like anniversaries, birthdays, we typically know when, you know, the, the weather changes, we know that Thanksgiving's coming up or, or, you know, Christmas is coming up. Um, 
or even if we had a conversation that we don't remember the full conversation of every little detail, we kind of know the context of it. Um, and so it, that person may not remember that, that conversation or even having that conversation. They may not even remember that person who they were having a, a conversation with. They may not remember, you know, that person coming over. Um, so it's really memory loss that disrupts the daily living of that individual. Um, and then they also may repeat the same question over and over again, not remembering that they just asked that question or they just said that statement, you know, five minutes prior. Um, challenges with planning or problem solving. They may have trouble um, completing familiar tasks. So if it was a individual who was a homemaker their whole life and, you know, their daily tasks were um, making sure the house was picked up and the laundry was done and the dishes were clean and the groceries, you know, you would go to the grocery store and, 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 you know, make sure the groceries were gotten and um, maybe gardening or whatever it is that, that is, was part of their daily life. Um, now, now they're forgetting to do certain things, or maybe it was a recipe and they're forgetting to put in certain um, ingredients or they're putting odd ingredients in that, you know, normally wouldn't go in that recipe. Um, confusion with time or place. Um, also new problems with words and speaking, um, decreased or poor judgment like we had talked about. Misplacing things is also big, um, but also, but it's, more about being able to retrace your steps because that's again another one that we all misplace things from time to time but typically an individual without the disease is going to be able to say okay i usually put my paperwork in this spot i'm going to go check there first if it's a paper that you know you're looking for um so you typically have your places that you put certain things and so you'll retrace your steps an individual with dementia may not be able to do that. Or they may be able to do certain things one day and not be able to do those same things the next day. Um, they may also start to withdraw from things that they once loved to do, like family um, get-togethers or church or clubs or volunteer work that they used to do. Um, those things start to unfortunately not become, not still be a um, important thing. Um, and then the last one is there could be some changes in mood or, or their personality as well. And so it sounds like really like atypical behavior. So beyond the point of, you know, I misplaced something, I can't find it. You know, I, surely if I put this thing in this spot, I won't forget it. Right. And then typically sometimes it happens. Um, it's usually, it sounds like it's usually behavior that is just very out of the ordinary. It should be very routine, uh, something someone's used to putting it in a certain place or doing something. Right. Uh, and another part of this too, is to remember that this is not a normal part of the aging right. process. And I think sometimes that's where people, um, caregivers or family members will say, oh, that's just old age or, oh, you know, and then next thing you know, it's a huge, it, it really is a problem because bills are getting piled up and bills are not getting paid. And, you know, 
somebody's getting lost when they're going out driving or they may not have any food in their house or they have a lot of um, one of my first calls, um, somebody had a like 15 boxes of crackers in their um, pantry because they were going to the store and buying the same thing over and over and not realizing that they already had it. So those things um, are not normal part are not normal parts of the aging process. So that's something to keep in mind too. Yeah, I think that's important to know. Uh, I feel like I hear a lot of times people just associate forgetfulness or uh, misplacing something in older adults as, well, this is probably early onset uh, dementia that's happening. And yeah, it sounds like kind of what you're saying that doesn't necessarily mean that's the case, um, but it could be, it could be leading to that, but it seems like it needs to be a little more um, extreme if it's starting to show those signs. Right, right. So, you know, if you have someone in your life who maybe was recently diagnosed, what advice would you give to someone um, to kind of help them along the process with their loved one? I would say the very first thing is educate yourself on the disease. Know exactly, you know, what are the stages? Um, what is Alzheimer's if, if the diagnosis was Alzheimer's or what is Lewy bodies with dementia. There are over a hundred different types of dementia. So figuring out what type of dementia it is and then researching and um, educating yourself on, again, every person will be different, but educating yourself on what you can maybe expect um, as far as what what truly will be involved in the caregiving process and, and what you may um, come across on any given day. Um, the next thing, um, which is really important, is, is building a support team. So um, many times I'll come across caregivers who their family may live out of state or, or they may not have any adult children. And so it's just, you know, if it's a spouse, um, it may just be them caring for their their loved one. So no one person can do this all alone. And so it's really important to build that support system and, and being able to, whether it's talk to people um, about what you're feeling or, um, you know, having people that can maybe mow the grass for you. So that's something that you don't have to worry about or, you know, go grocery shopping for you or figure out a way to um, set up so your groceries can be delivered. Um, also, you know, getting involved in a support, a support group um, to talk with others who are like-minded and, and know, you know, kind of what you're going through at this point. Um, and then also making a plan to care for yourself. Uh, I think that's one of the things that's many times forgotten. Um, and many times, you know, I'll, I'll be, be be meeting with families and I'll have to ask, so what are you doing for yourself? Um, and probably a, a very high percentage, um, they either have trouble answering that question or they're, they, they say nothing. I'm not doing anything for myself right now. So, and I know that's the case with, with many different situations too. And, um, so figuring out a plan of, you know, if it's a, if it's five minutes a day or if it's five minutes throughout the day of just being mindful and, you know, maybe it's taking five minutes just to do some deep breathing and meditation or um, whatever self-care looks like for you and, and what you feel, however it is that you feel refreshed afterwards. Um, I think everybody has their own self-care plan that 
that works for them. So figuring that out. Yeah, that self-care piece is so important to avoid burnout because uh, caregiver fatigue and burnout is very real. Uh, that's something that we kind of see on um, more of the mental health side is that caregivers want to give and give and give and they're going <laughs> constantly and then all of a sudden their their tank is empty um, and they don't have anything else left to give and that can be really hard um, if they're the only person who's helping care for this individual and then they're exhausted, they're tired, uh, their compassion has depleted because they're just exhausted. And so, yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's so essential to have that self-care piece. Yes. Yeah. Um, I want to ask too about the education. Um, where would be some good places people could go if they wanted to learn a little bit more about different forms of dementia or just to educate themselves? Yeah. So our website has a wealth of knowledge um, or a wealth of information on it. Um, you can literally, anything that you're looking for, you can type it in the search bar and then click and then type Alzheimer's Association. And chances are that whatever you're looking up is going to pop up. Um, but you can also just start at the website and that is alz.org forward slash NW Ohio. Um, you can also find our education programs on there. You can find our caregiver support groups on there as well. And then contact information for our helpline and um, our local office too. Awesome. And yeah, um, we'll be sure to include that in the description as well. So if folks are listening and want to access that, uh, they'll be able to click on that link too, um, to be able to visit that website. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we talked a little bit already about stigma, uh, but I want to circle back to that. If um, you and your work have noticed any type of stigma surrounding dementia, Alzheimer's, or any other uh, neurological or mental health condition, and then how that stigma was handled. Uh, can you describe that a little bit? Yeah. So I think, so I kind of, I kind of did talk about how somebody may have somebody in mind and they worry that that's how their dementia is going to progress. Um, but also, they haven't, I think many times people have an idea of Alzheimer's and they think the more severe, um, the more severe stage of, of the disease. In the very beginning, the early stages of the disease, that person can still do pretty much everything that they've always been able to do. Many times they still work, they still drive, they still, you know, if it's younger onset, they still may, may be taking care of kids who are living at home. Um, so not one of talking about advice is not to assume that that person isn't understanding or isn't able to do something because you're going to know if that person isn't able to do something. And also in the early stages, you're able to have those conversations. I know it may feel un uncomfortable, um, but there's nothing wrong with saying, well, how do you want me to handle, you know, if, if, if you repeat a question over and over again, how do you want me to handle? Do you want me to tell you you've already answered or you've already asked this question? Because some people do want to know, but some people may not and they may get frustrated because, well, no, I didn't ask that question already. You know, um, many times it's the first time for them. And, and so there could, could be potentially some of that frustration. So having that open communication while you still can in those early stages can be important. Um, 
and I think sometimes they automatically think that, oh, this person isn't going to remember who I am in the early stages. And sometimes people remember, you know, a few people even in the more severe stages of the disease too. Um, so it really, it, it, the disease does not discriminate and, and the progression of the disease does not discriminate. So, um, but I, I also know that it's easy to, to think about those things and worry about those things at the same time. Um, so, so again, you know, asking them what their wishes are in the early stages too can be really important and also make them feel like they are still valued and still have a say in their own life. Um, I think can, can speak volumes as well. Yeah. Cause they're not just that disease. They are also a person they've lived a life and yeah, they're more than just the diagnosis. Definitely. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, as community members, uh, how can we help to advocate and support uh, people who are living with dementia as well as the caregivers um, of those individuals? So I, a couple things come to my mind. Um, I mentioned volunteers earlier. We do have volunteers who um, facilitate our caregiver support groups, who facilitate our early stage programming, and also help with the education. So we have um, volunteers who provide our education programs to our local communities. Um, and sometimes that is a way for for people to feel like they're you know, contributing to their community and getting the information and awareness about the disease out there. Um, and then we also have a advocacy sector at, where we will um, take volunteers and they can help, um, you know, if there's a bill that we're trying to get passed or, you know, there's a conversation that needs to be had with representatives, um, we take volunteers to have those conversations. Um, typically who have some sort of experience with the disease, um, whether it's caregiving. And we also have people who have the disease who like to go down to the white, uh, to the state house and, and help advocate as well. So there's many different ways to get involved. Of course, the walk side as well. Um, if, if fundraising is your, is your thing, um, then we, we definitely take volunteers too help with walk and our fundraising as well. Wonderful. So it sounds like if someone has a passion uh, for this particular organization, there's lots of ways to get involved, lots of yes. ways to help support and educate uh, as much as possible. So right. yeah, like right. I said, we'll have the uh, website link in the description so folks can learn more about it. Great. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to share Dakota uh, as we wrap up this conversation? No, I think we've pretty much covered everything. So I just really appreciate you giving me this time and um, I hope it's useful and helpful for somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. Many celebrities have come out in recent years to talk about their own mental health journeys. Selena Gomez had a quick rise to fame from PBS to Disney Channel to becoming an adored and award-winning pop artist around the world. Over those years, however, Gomez struggled with issues like depression, anxiety, panic attacks, and more recently, bipolar disorder. She details these in her documentary, My Mind and Me, 
which was released in November of 2022. You may also know Ryan Reynolds as a fun-loving actor who thrives in the comedy world. What many may not know is that he's also struggled with social anxiety. In a 2022 interview with NPR, Reynolds admitted that he would, quote, much rather have a kind of persona take over than, you know, have a sort of suffer through any sort of social interaction alone in the naked day of light, end quote. He further explained that he, as early as a child, would hide behind self-deprecating humor to get through difficult interactions. Celebrities open up and start the conversation by telling their own stories, and even certain celebrities have started foundations and made donations to benefit mental health services. But you don't have to be a celebrity, donate millions of dollars, or even share your deepest, darkest secrets about your own mental health to become an advocate. You can stand up for others by sharing your story privately with a friend, neighbor, or a loved one. And if you aren't ready to share your story, that's okay too. Here are some ways that you can advocate for mental health. First, you can support someone who may need some help. Taking classes like Mental Health First Aid or Question Persuade Refer offered at Wood County can help you learn how to help someone who's struggling. Second, you can volunteer for a local mental health organization. At Wood County, we host monthly volunteer days and we're always looking for individuals who want to help out at different events or become program facilitators. Third, you can attend an awareness event that benefits mental health. We host multiple awareness events throughout the year, including our annual fall family fun event, Afterburn, during the first week in October in observance of Mental Illness Awareness Week. Lastly, you can use appropriate language and stand up for individuals who are being judged. Using phrases like living with a mental illness instead of they are mentally ill and practices person-first language. This puts the person before their disease because people are more than their disease. And if you notice someone is being ridiculed or judged for their mental health condition, say something. Each and every one of us can advocate for mental health services in our own way. All right, so I'm joined today uh, with Stuart, who um, is the director at the uh, Ability Center. So I'm super excited uh, to chat more about services um, and hear a little bit more from him. So hi, Stuart. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to chat and learn a little bit more about what the Ability Center has to offer. So to start off, can you uh, just introduce yourself um, and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how long you've been involved with the Ability Center? Sure. Um so my name is Stuart James. I'm the executive director here at the Ability Center in Greater Toledo. And we actually cover um, seven counties throughout Northwest Ohio, and we'll be picking up six more um, in the near future. Um, and so we provide a variety of services here um, from assistance dogs to peer counseling to helping people get medical equipment they need or to adapt their home. Um, I'm pretty new to Ohio. I have only been there about two years. I came from California originally. Um, well, originally I came from New York, but last stop was California. Um, and I'm, I'm still fairly new to the D 
disability advocacy space. I guess I can't say new anymore, um, but I've been here a while, but um, I spent the first 20 plus years or so of my career working in sports and entertainment. And I only switched when I was about 41 to start doing more advocacy work because I have a disability and I kind of thought, well, maybe I should do something a little more important. That's really cool. Working in with sports, you said sports entertainment? Yes. Yeah. So did you ever meet anyone famous or anything like that? Lots of people. Yeah, (laughs) I believe it. Especially, yeah, being in New York and California. So, you know, I worked, um, I was an agent for a long time in Los Angeles, um, working with um, football players and action sports athletes. Um, I did a lot of uh, brand and entertainment marketing um, and much of it all around the world. So I lived in China for 10 years. I lived in New Zealand for a little while and and Spain and other places. Um, And so, uh, you know, it it was fun. Um, And I did get to meet a lot of famous people and um, that's always a little bit exciting. And um, yeah, different now, but it's all good, still good. Yes, it's still good work. Yeah, maybe not as lavish as California being in Northwest Ohio, but <laughs> Northwest Ohio is better than most people give it give it credit for. Being. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do agree with that. Yeah, I have been born and raised in Northwest Ohio, and I do enjoy living here. Yeah, absolutely. I got twin five year old daughters, and there couldn't be a better place to raise them. Oh yeah, absolutely for sure. Um, so yeah, you so you've been involved with the Ability Center for you said about two years now. Um, celebrated yep yeah that's awesome so can you then explain a little bit more about what the ability center does locally and then the services that are offered sure so the uh, the ability center is part of uh, an, a network of organizations called independent living centers there is approximately 400 around the country um by by almost any measure we are likely in the top three to five in terms of size nationwide. Um, We were very fortunate to get um, a large endowment a a few decades ago. Um, And so we've grown quite quite rapidly. Um, We offer um, a variety of services. Um, Independent living centers are required to do four core services um, and we do those. But in addition to that, that's, uh, that's information for advocacy, independent living skills, and uh, we have youth transition, and I'm somehow missing one, so forgive me. It'll come up to me in a second. Um, But we do all of those, and then um, in addition to that, um, we train assistance dogs um, for mobility and for comfort and for schools, Um, and then uh, we help make people's homes accessible, Um, and so if you're in rehab and you're stuck and you know, the OT says we can't let you out to get in and out of your home. We can sort that out for you. If you need durable medical equipment, we can make sure that's available to you. Um, and um, so, yeah, we do a lot of youth programming. I have a particular focus on recreation, um, uh, largely because I'm a big believer that, you know, um, sports is a great tool, especially for people with disabilities to learn soft skills and socialize and Um, It also helps um, bridge the gap between those with and without disabilities. And I would tell you that probably at least if you look at it as sort of a a thread that holds the whole organization together, it's the idea that 
we're trying to get um, people to integrate and we're trying to um, build a community of inclusion. And so all the programming that we do here, especially on the rec side, is really available to anyone. Um, the entire community can come. If you want to come play wheelchair basketball, we've got the chairs. You don't need to be disabled. Just get in. And we like it when um, more people show up. That's wonderful. It seems like a big part of uh, your all mission is that advocacy work. Um, yeah, because yeah, I mean, very similar to uh, NAMI organizations, a big part of our mission is to also advocate for individuals affected by mental illness. So yeah, it seems very similar in that you're helping advocate for individuals who are affected by physical developmental disabilities um, and getting them the best care possible, as well as offering some really great services for those folks. Yes, um, you know, we are we are really, really lucky. Um, we have a lawyer here named Kitty Hunt Thomas, and she's just amazing. Um, and she is very dedicated to what she does, and she is effective. Um, just in the short time that I've been here, we've gotten um, at least one major piece of legislation through the state house and several bills through the local government here. And that's quite an accomplishment because you know advocacy takes time, um, especially when we're changing policy. Um, you know, it's not something that you can say, hey, I'm gonna start today and it's over tomorrow. Um, it really requires a, a strategy and she's just, I mean, we're just so lucky to have her. Um, and so I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, you know, we do, I think, you know, we're unique in that we are really responsible for any disability that you may have. So we do cross over a lot with organizations like NAMI. And in those instances, we work side by side with you to try to rally support for whatever it is that we're trying to advocate for. Um, and, and for the most part, by and large, I think we're always on the same page. So it makes it easier. Yeah, I think it's good to have multiple players kind of in that arena uh, when it comes to advocacy work, because, you know, one voice can go far, but then multiple voices can go even farther. Um, and as you said, with legislative work, it takes time. Policy change definitely takes a lot of time and a lot of people to get behind that. Um, so that actually led me then to my next question about the connection between physical and developmental disabilities, as well as with mental illness. Is there what kind of connection is there between, or what do you notice in your work? You know, I think it's the stigmas. Um, although they're different, I think they all three of them have stigmas, um, you know. Um, and I think that's a large part of also what we're trying to do here. And one of the reasons we're all about inclusion, not necessarily accessibility, is because it's about educating people without disability about disability. Um, I often tell people that, you know, um, when we when we speak to legislators and um and i'm trying to advocate for something um you know they understand the words coming out of my mouth but the picture in their head may not be the same as the picture in my head and so we're not really having the same conversation and so i think a lot about sort of trying to remove some of these stigmas we have is to have the same conversation so you understand what I'm advocating for or what the world will look like if I get it or we get it. Um. Yeah, I think that's a big part of what we do as well as, you know, the people who are struggling with their mental health condition. We also bring them to the forefront to really 
advocate and show their own lived experience and tell their own story uh, because they're the ones who are going to know best, right? I mean, having people who don't walk the walk and talk the talk trying to advocate for services, um, you know, maybe could be effective, but not as effective as the person who can really explain what it's like to live with, you know, the disability. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, um, and mental health is, is especially hard. Um, you know, people people see me, I use a wheelchair and I'm yay tall. Um, and it's, you know, the stigma tends to be more at the fore. I can see it, I know what's coming. I can tell from people's faces what I'm gonna have to deal with a lot of times. Um, but I think when, when we're talking about mental health and people can't see it or are unaware that someone may be dealing with something, um, it becomes a little bit more challenging, um, especially if you're having a bad day and people don't realize maybe why you're having a bad day. Um, you know, it was especially came into my house. My daughter has ADHD and, um, and it's a pretty severe case of ADHD, excuse me. And, um, you know, you, when she has episodes and when things aren't going so well, you got to remember as a parent that it's not her, really. It's this thing that's happening in her head. She can't really control it. And so you got to, you know, I know what's going on and it still takes me some time to sit back and say, okay, you know, just calm down. Just like relax. It's just the thing. It'll pass and we'll get over it. Um, and so I think it can be challenging, especially I find in the workplace. Um, and it, whether you, you know, it's it's a real challenge to decide whether you should disclose or not. Um, and and I think it's a case by case basis. I don't really think there's a golden rule. Um, and you know, when you don't disclose, I think it's hard because you you bad days happen. They happen to everybody. And um, sometimes you know it's hard to explain why it's happening. I think that's that's a big part of too what we talk about is that mental illness is this invisible disability in that it's you know easy to see what it's happening right in front of your face um but people don't always know what disability they live with um and that can be a challenge as well and i feel like especially if an individual you know has a physical disability as well as a mental health condition that's kind of you know twice as stigmatizing unfortunately and can be really hard uh, for folks to get services to kind of live life day in and day out um, when they're just trying to trying to be a person. Yeah, I think when you have when you're when you're dealing with multiple issues, it's not a it's not a you know this plus this. It's exponential. It's this times this, and it becomes that much more complicated. Right, and then yeah, multiple services involved and in trying to figure out you know what's the best way for treatment for you know, this over here, but also this, yeah, it can be a real challenge for folks and the added stigma on top of it definitely does not help. Um, so what advice would then you give to someone who maybe they have a loved one who has a disability and they're just not really sure where to start? Uh, they don't know where to go or who to go to for support. Uh, what advice would you give that person? Call us. Um, uh, you know, we handle, <laughs> we handle I would say, you know, we can sometimes be the, the jack of all trades, the master of none. Um, however, we are, we know a lot about a lot of things and we are able to steer you um, where it may best be for you. Um, you know, if you call here, you'll speak to one of our navigators most likely 
if you explain to them what's going on, um, you know, we will steer you to organizations like NAMI um, or the Site Center or, you know, or combination thereof. Um, our focus tends to be less on treatment-oriented things and more of quality of life issues. Um, but certainly we can get you going in the right direction and, and sort of be a shoulder to lean on and, and help you navigate what can be sometimes a complicated maze. Yeah, having someone who can help navigate all those services is always very helpful because it's very confusing. You know, where do I start? Who do I call? And just having, you know, you all, Ability Center, be able to just call and say, hey, I need some help. I don't even know where to begin uh, is truly helpful. We try. <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> I, I, I think our navigating team is really excellent. They're, they're, they spend a lot of time and they, they pride themselves on knowing what's going on in the communities we serve. And so, you know, I, 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 and I know that they, they have a, a empathy. And, um, and so it's nice, you know, and they're willing to take time to speak to people. And um, so I'm yeah, really proud of that group. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about what that stigma kind of looks like and how people who maybe they live with a disability, they may also live with a mental health condition, um, both. So they face a lot of stigma surrounding that, right? Um, and I'm sure you've experienced maybe certain type of stigma in either of those realms, uh, being a loved one of someone with a mental health condition, as well as also having a disability. So how has, uh, how have you handled then stigma judgment, uh, in those type of situations when you're faced with someone who maybe just doesn't understand and, um, isn't necessarily educated in that arena? Yeah. You know, um, I, again, I, I don't necessarily think I advocate for any one approach to this. Um, um, different situations call for different things. Um, I can only speak to what I do personally. Um, and, you know, I just try to be me. And um, I don't spend too much time focused on, oh, you know, this is what they think. I think they think of me. And, and I just sort of go about my business. And if you want to get on the train, great. And if you don't, well, okay, that's fine too. Um, and, you know, I'm hope is that by doing that, by just being a dad and just working in my job, and I, when I was, especially when I was working in sports, um, something a little different than what you might think of someone like myself, um, just by doing that, I, I hope that I was changing the stigmas um, and being seen. I think that's, um, important for people with disabilities, all of them, is to be seen um, and, you know, not to hide away from it. It may be uncomfortable now, but, you know, getting out into the community and just being you and don't worry if it looks a little funny or if you have to do it a little differently, um, because over time that will become normal to people. And then, um, you know, maybe it's rough for you, but for the next generation or the generation after that, it will hopefully be easier. I love that. That's great advice. Just you know, be yourself and just start that change, right? Just start the the change for people seeing this is what I look like. This is what this is, but I'm a person. I can still do things. Yep. And you don't have to do good with the bad like you do with everybody else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You deal with everyone else, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I have just like a, about one or two more questions. So sure. Um, if there are different community members or people who are listening to this episode, 
want to help to advocate more uh, for themselves. They may or may not identify in this community, but they want to advocate for individuals who live with disabilities, um, as well as the caregivers and loved ones. How can they go about doing that? You know, I, I look at that in two terms. One is sort of systematic stuff when we're doing policy initiatives. Um, regardless of what your disability is, look to the organizations that are focused on that, see what the issues are. And and oftentimes when you look at those sites, you'll see things where they're asking you to write letters to legislators or that kind of thing, how you can help. Um, and so I would start there if you're interested in policy. Um, individual advocacy, I you know, this is maybe not the best advice. Um, it's probably not the most technical, um, but it is the one that I think works the best and it's simply be a friend. And I mean that in like, you know, real friend, like get to know someone and um, put the judgments aside. And, you know, the rest kind of takes care of itself, I think. That seems so simple just for someone to get involved in that way, just to be kind to someone. <laughs> you know, we don't think about that when we think of advocacy work. We think of we have to write letters and do all this. Um, you know, I think don't be ignorant. Yeah, no, absolutely. So educate yourself, right? Yeah, and you can do that by just spending time with people. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. It really does. Yeah, kind of learning what people are going through. You know, um, I, I kind of sometimes use the analogy, I worked in sports, if you're not a sports fan um, and you go to a football game, you know, it could be quite boring. Um, but if it's your brother or your nephew or, you know, your neighbor down the street that you like playing in the game, it's more interesting. And so I think that applies to life, right? If you have a friend with a disability, regardless of what it is, um, you tend to be more interested in them if you get to know them, if there's a face to the problem. And then that's sort of the rest of it kind of takes care of itself. I really like that analogy. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, so that wraps up all the questions I have. Was there anything else that you wanted to share then with folks? No, you know, again, if you, even if you're not sure if you can, if we can help you call, um, you know, uh, we're always happy to do our best. And, you know, we really do appreciate our, 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 the work we do with NAMI and, um, and hope that we can continue that, in not just these podcasts, but on the advocacy or um, just in general, you know, it, there's so much overlap that we really, we do enjoy um, the partnership we have with you. Great. Thank you. Uh, we do too as well. Uh, so how can folks get a hold of you? I guess I did have one more question. <laughs> uh, if folks want to call or get in contact with the Ability Center, how can they do that? Yeah, um, the website's really the best place to start. and You'll learn more about what we have going on and the events we have. Um, you can get the various numbers um, to call. Um, you know, one of the things we've, we've done a good job of recently is um, we don't tend to keep people around from department to department. Um, once you get one of those navigators working with you, they kind of, that's your contact and they'll take you from place to place and they'll be there with you the whole time. So um, that kind of, um, we hope that's working out for people, but um, just call. Great. Well, thank you so much uh, for chatting with me again, Stuart. Uh, I appreciate you taking time of what I'm sure is a super busy schedule to talk with you. <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for more Stigma Busters, 
be sure to subscribe and stay up to date on all of our new episodes. Don't forget, rate us too. If you want to learn more about Namiwood County, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. You can also watch our Facebook and YouTube Live NAMI News at 2 videos to learn more about self-care tips, awareness date information, upcoming programs, and more. To learn more about Namiwood County's programs, including information on support groups, classes, and presentations, visit namiwoodcounty.org. When the whole world is silent, even one voice becomes powerful. Remember, when it comes to mental health advocacy and education, your voice matters too.